the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Worship the Lord. That's when you start to adore Him. That's when you start to appreciate your salvation, how much He's done for you. He elected you to salvation. He predestined you to adoption. He redeemed you by the blood of Christ, and He made you alive so that you could experience all of this. Wow. When I heard that, it brought me back to my college days. I had only been saved a couple of years and was alone in the chapel one day when it suddenly hit me. I had an almost overwhelming awareness of the power and grace of God in saving me. The magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice when he took my punishment hit me so hard, I think I was there for about an hour just weeping in gratitude. And that he chose me for such a gift was beyond anything I could imagine. And it still is. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the second chapter of Ephesians and the infinite power God demonstrated in saving us. If you're just now joining us in the middle of this series, I'll tell you later how to get caught up if you want to. In Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, John told how he began to worship the angel who had been showing him those things. The angel, of course, stopped John and told him, Worship God. I looked it up, and that that word translated worship in the Greek has to do with fawning or kissing the hand, much like a dog licking his master's hand in adoration. I think that's how I felt that day in my college chapel, and I think perhaps we should have that attitude more often when we think about what God has done for us. As Pastor Steve begins, remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. Now think about how amazing this truth is. God knows exactly what you're like. God knows what you are like. He knows what all of us are like, what I'm like. Wretched sinners who did nothing in our unsaved state but disobey him. And what we didn't do outwardly, we certainly did inwardly with evil and wicked desires. And yet knowing all of this about us, God loves us. And his love, Paul says, is great towards us. That's a truth that we ought not to take for granted. If you've grown up in an evangelical Christian home hearing that God loves you, it's very easy to be very familiar with that and not impact you. But, but I didn't grow up like that. And I can recall the very first time that I realized that God actually loved me and that his love for me was not dependent on me doing anything. It was unconditional. This was the time the Lord was opening my, my heart, my eyes to the gospel. And I remember just being overwhelmed at this thought and just crying because I had never heard anything like this, that God would would love me. So how do we define this love? How do we explain it? This great love that God has for us, it actually defies total explanation. God is love. This is who he is. 
But William Hendrickson, who was a brilliant theologian, he wrote this about God's love, and I thought it would be good for us to hear. He said, the love of God is so great that it defies all definition. We can speak of it as his intense concern for, his deep personal interest in us, his warm attachment to, and spontaneous tenderness toward his chosen ones. But all that is but to stammer. Those and those only who experience it are the ones who know what it is, though even they can never fully comprehend it. I suspect that for all of eternity, we will still never fully, fully comprehend God's love for us. We'll be astounded, we'll be amazed, we'll be praising him for it, but I don't think we'll ever fully grasp it. So we may not be able to define it, we may not be able to comprehend it, but we certainly know what it looks like, don't we? We know what it looks like because God has revealed it to us. The greatest revelation of this, the greatest demonstration of this is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6, the apostle writes, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It means while we were helpless and dead in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he means dead sinners, Christ died for us. That's the greatest demonstration of God's love. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, John says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because of his great love for us, Christ, the sinless son of God, was condemned in our place, bearing the penalty for our sins so that God the Father's justice completely satisfied completely satisfied. There's no more that it could be satisfied than it is. And we can experience now, not hell, but a relationship with him, fellowship with him. That's what his great love looks like. See, we don't have to define it. We just look at the cross and we grasp something of it. But in order to have this relationship, something had to happen because we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses, uninterested in God, completely disobedient to him, and even hostile towards him. So yes, Christ died for us, but how do we connect? How does that connection, he elected us in eternity past, he died for us over 2,000 years ago, but how do we actually apply this? How does it become a reality in our lives? What did God do for us in his mercy and love to make this experiential? Look at verses 5 and 6. We're only going to touch on this. It's so rich that I, I want to stop in a, in a few minutes and address some things, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. But look at this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says that when we were dead... In our transgressions, God, because he loved us, did this. He made us alive. That's what he did. That's what the but God is about. 
He made us alive, meaning that he imparted life to us. Think about that. You were dead. What does a dead man need? Well, he needs life. This is the doctrine known as regeneration. In its more popular form, it's called being born again. It's exactly the same thing. To be born again is to have the life of God supernaturally by God himself implanted in us. It is to have what Peter says, a divine nature, a a new nature given to us by God so that whereas once I was dead and totally disinterested in God, now I'm alive unto him and I am passionately interested in him. So although the Christian still struggles with temptation, he struggles with sin when he's born again, he has a completely new disposition, a completely new set of values and desires and interests and ambitions. No longer does he walk according to the course of this world. He may flirt with the world at times. He shouldn't, but he doesn't walk according to the course of this world. He desires now to walk in the ways of the Lord and his word. No longer does his life consist of complete disobedience. There are times there's disobedience, but not complete disobedience. Now his intent, his desire is to obey God. And when he doesn't obey God, he confesses his sin and he repents. That's a mark of regeneration. So, This is such a critical issue, critical truth, that before proceeding any further in our study, because we're going to get into some deep things next week, I want us to stop here. And for the remainder of our time together, I want to make two important points. First point I, I want to make is to clarify how regeneration changes us and makes us into new creatures in Christ. And the reason I want to stop and deal with this is because not many people do ever deal with this. Not many people write about regeneration. You don't hear much preaching about the work of God regenerating us. You hear much about placing our faith in Christ, but not about God giving us new life. And because of this lack of teaching, there tends to be some misunderstanding, some confusion as to what exactly does it mean that the Lord makes us a new creation. That's what regeneration does makes us new creatures. So what is regeneration, and how does it actually change us? Well, one man who thought and wrote extensively about this is our friend, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. So I want to turn to Dr. Lloyd-Jones now, and I want us to listen to his lengthy but incredibly meaningful explanation of regeneration. You'll catch the King James language here, but that's how he preached. So listen to this. You'll be blessed by it. He writes, what is regeneration? I cannot think of a better definition than this. Regeneration is an act of God by which the principle of new life is implanted in man, and the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. That's regeneration. It means that God, by his mighty action, puts a new disposition into my soul. By disposition, by the way, he means nature. He says, notice I say disposition, not faculties. By faculties, he means abilities. What man in sin needs is not new faculties. What he needs is a new disposition. What is the difference, you ask, between faculties and disposition? It's something like this. The disposition is that which determines the bent and the use of the faculties. 
The disposition is that which governs and organizes the use of the faculties, which makes one man a musician and another man a poet and another something else. So the difference between the sinner and the Christian, the unbeliever and the believer is not that the believer, the Christian has certain faculties which the other man lacks. No, what happens is that this new disposition given to the Christian directs his faculties in an entirely different way. He's not given a new brain. He's not given a new intelligence or anything else. He has always had these. They are his servants, his instruments, his members, as Paul calls them. What is new is a new bent, a new disposition. He has turned in a different direction. There is a new power working in him and guiding his faculties. He goes on to say, that is the thing that makes a man a Christian. There is this principle of life in him. There is this new disposition, and it affects the whole man. It affects his mind. It affects his heart. It affects his will. It's something that happens to a man instantaneously, not gradually. Birth is sudden. Birth is instantaneous. It's not a gradual process. There was a man at one moment dead. The next moment he's alive. He's been quickened. This disposition, this principle of life has come to him. Our Lord makes this quite plain to Nicodemus in that famous statement, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the spirit. He continues, it is secret. It is elusive. One does not understand. One cannot explain it fully. All one knows is that it has happened Once I was blind, now I see. I do not understand. I cannot explain it physiologically, anatomically, or any other way. All I know is I was blind, I could not see, but now I'm able to see. I was dead, I'm now alive. It is secret. It is mysterious. It is miraculous. It is marvelous. It is incomprehensible. But I know the effects. I appreciate the result. I am aware of the fact that it has taken place. What is it then? It is a creative act of God. That's why you often find this apostle and others referring to it as a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I wanted you to hear this because we don't hear it much, but it is mysterious. It is the act of God. One can't figure it all out, but God does it. And there ought to be no doubt in your life as to whether or not you have been regenerated. Why? Because there will be the effects. There will be the results of spiritual life. You'll be a new person, completely different from the description of the dead, unregenerate man in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You'll have an appetite for the word of God. You'll have a desire to obey him, a longing to to honor him in everything you do. Those are but some of the effects of regeneration. There are others. Confession of sin, love for the brethren, hatred of your own sin. Those are the effects of regeneration. And though there is a mystery as to how God does it, the results will be quite visible and evident in your life. So if it's there, you don't need to doubt your salvation. You don't need to wonder, did I, did I say the right words? Did I say the right prayer of salvation? Did I, did I walk an aisle and understand what that means? Listen, if God has regenerated you, the evidence will be in your life. Second point I want to make about regeneration is that it is 
the act of God. It's the act of God. It is something that God does to us and not something we do in response to him. Now, the reason that I bring this to your attention is because so much in our evangelical culture, our evangelical thinking is focused on the importance of people making a decision for Christ or deciding to believe in him. I understand calling people to repentance and faith is certainly the right thing to do. That's what we do. We call people to repent. We call people to believe in Christ. That's right. Jesus did that. He invited people to come to him. And in that sense, when we come to the Lord for salvation, in that sense, we are making a decision for him. I understand that. However, the reason that we repent The reason we believe in him, the reason we decide for him, folks, is because he's first regenerated us, not the other way around. He's first regenerated us. How do we know this? We know this because dead people can't do anything in terms of spiritual spiritual decisions. They can't repent. They can't believe. They can't decide for Christ. They're dead. So when we speak of a decision... For Christ, we need to understand that that decision is only because he decided for you first. He chose you and then he regenerated you. When God gives us life, totally by his sovereign choice, out of his mercy, out of his love, that's when we are able to repent and believe and we will repent and believe. It isn't as if you're regenerated two years ago and then you start believing two years later. It doesn't work like that. It looks instantaneous. It looks as if it follows each other immediately, and it does. Now, I bring this up because it's important that your view of salvation should be a biblical view, not a cultural view, which means it should be a God-centered view rather than a man-centered view. Your salvation is not dependent on you. It's dependent on God. You're a Christian today because God, out of his mercy, out of his great love, regenerated you. That's what Paul is teaching. Not because you decided to come to him for forgiveness. Folks, this is really the essence of Christianity. It is what God has done for us in Christ and what he has done to us to bring us to Christ. Regeneration is a glorious truth, a neglected truth, but you and I need to grasp this. We need to understand that this is, this is the very point that Paul is making in his teaching about salvation. Remember, he's telling us that our salvation is the work of God's power so that we'll not boast in ourselves, that we'll boast in him. We're saved by grace. It's his power. It's raised you from the dead. It's not your own decision. It's not your own will. It's not your your own self that's determined this. It is the power of God. You could no sooner rise from your coffin by you deciding this than you could be raised to life in Christ because you made a decision. So when this truth grips your heart, that's when you start to really worship the Lord. That's when you start to adore him. That's when you start to appreciate your salvation, how much he's done for you. He elected you to salvation. He predestined you to adoption. He redeemed you by the blood of Christ, and he made you alive so that you could experience all of this, 
Otherwise, it would all be doctrine and non-experiential. It would all be over here and you'd be over here dead in your sins and trespasses. But God, because of his mercy and love, has given us life. Now, if you've never been regenerated, then you are still dead in your sins and trespasses. And the way you know if you have life or, or if you're dead is by examining your life. Paul told the Corinthians, examine your, yourselves and see if you're in the faith. See if Christ is in you. Is there evidence that you have new life? Do you have a heart to obey God? If you have no heart to obey him, you don't know him. You're dead. Do you care about the things of God? Are you living for the desires of your flesh or for those things that God desires? If you are not regenerated, then I say to you what Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. So be born again. Turn to Christ. It is right for us to invite you. Turn to him. Trust him. Place your faith in him. Let's bow for prayer. Father, what, what can we say other than to praise you the best way we can, to praise and thank you for your mercy and love, to love such wretched people as us. Lord, we're astounded. You know all about us, things that others don't know, thoughts, desires, struggles, and yet you still love us. You sent your son to die for us, the just for the unjust. And Lord, thank you for giving us life. Thank you that it is mysterious. Thank you that it is something that we can't fully grasp, but we know when it's happened. We see it in our lives. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray, I pray that you'll help us as a congregation to appreciate more and more our salvation in a biblical sense, in the sense of your sovereign act of giving us life. Lord, may you do that to more who who come to Lakeside but don't know you. May you be pleased to grant them life, life from the dead. And may there be just a great revival here in our congregation of people really coming to Christ. We pray that for our school, Lord, so many unsaved students there. We pray that this will be a year of of many who will be converted, many who will be regenerated. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to give you the praise and the honor for our salvation. We pray for anyone here tonight who's not saved, that you'll open their hearts, that they'll, they'll be convicted of their sin. They'll be convicted that they don't have the evidence of regeneration and that they'll go home tonight, Lord, and get right with you. All of this we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What an amazing thing that the Creator and Lord of the universe would rescue us from the slavery of our sinful natures and breathe eternal life into us. If you haven't yet accepted God's magnificent offer, I hope you'll do that today. And if you have questions, I'll have a phone number for you in just a moment. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Check them out at their website, lakesidechapel.com, or in person at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Today's program was the second part of a two-part message on the power of God in salvation. 
If you'd like, you can order a free CD with the whole message and no announcements by calling Lakeside at 727-239-0306. Ask for message 1087, The Power of God in Salvation, Part 4. That's also the number to call if you want to know more about how you can have eternal life through trusting the Lord Jesus. Once more, the number is 727-239-0306. First by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside, but we depend on faithful and generous listeners whose gifts underwrite the expenses of producing and airing these daily radio Bible classes. If the Lord is speaking to you about participating financially, please stop in at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the Giving tab near the top of the page. If you already give to Verse by Verse, we want to say thanks. We very much appreciate you. By the way, if you'd like to download or stream previous programs, we have hundreds of them available at no cost on the Message Archive page. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Several things happen so quickly when we put our faith in Jesus that they seem simultaneous. Among other things, and in no special order, we are regenerated, we become new creatures, and we are joined with Christ. Jesus and Paul both used tree and vine grafting to illustrate our union with Christ. I'm Jerry Peterson. Please come back next time as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues our series about the power of God in salvation and we consider our union with Christ. Bill Carl here. Thanks for listening this morning. Appreciate you joining us. Todd Chapman is with us from Food for the Poor. And over the next few days, we're going to be working to bring food for a year and water for life to 400 children in Guatemala and Haiti. And it starts with your call to 855-353-4673. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.